Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling the Walk Through the Book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 12, and today Jason has entitled his sermon, The Purity of the Gospel. Let's join Jason now in this part 49 of a walk through the book of Acts. Here's Jason. I am Pastor Jason and welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. We are making our way through the book of Acts. You can turn with me to Acts chapter 15 as we find ourselves this morning almost right at the halfway point in the book of Acts. And what many call one of the central points of the church of Christ what we will see is known as the Jerusalem Council. And so many years ago when my family and I became missionaries in the country of Papua New Guinea, I was given some wise advice by some fellow missionaries and even some pastors that said, Jason, you need to be able to choose your battles. There's going to be many decisions before you on the mission field And at times you're going to have to choose whether or not that is a hill you want to die on or if that is a hill that you should just walk away from. And I remember one time it was around Christmas and I was actually in in our makeshift workshop trying to work on a special project for for my kids for Christmas. And and I got this loud knock at the door and turned around and one of our Siawi men was totally drunk. They don't normally get drunk. But somebody had flown in some beer Again, they don't ever usually see beer. This is one of the, this is the first time I've ever known of the people having beer. He got drunk and then came to this workshop very, very agitated and upset with me over something having to do with the airstrip. And he had this great big long machete. And he was whacking the machete as he's coming up the steps. And as he comes up, a, a guy who's with him that was there no doubt to be the guard dog of him keep him from hurting me, grabs the machete and throws it onto the grass. And as he comes into the workshop, he grabs the hammer that I was just using. He proceeds to hit the hammer really hard all over the workshop. Tell me how upset he is with me. That was one of those cases where I chose to be very passive, to be very kind and gracious in the way that I was talking back with him. Why? Because he was so upset that I didn't want anything to happen. Another time as, as things progressed and we now had a, a, a church that was functioning in Siawi and there were elders that were serving, looking after the needs of the church and I was pulling myself further and further away and, and some men came into our village that had been going around teaching. And as they taught this one night, I, I got this knock on the door again. This time it was at our, our home. And some of the elders came in and said, hey, you need to come and you need to hear what what, what these guys are teaching because it's not good. And so I I went back with them and when I got there, they had opened up the book of Luke and they were teaching through the, the birth of Jesus. But instead of talking about Jesus, they were talking about Mary and they were saying that Mary is God and that all must believe in Mary as well as Jesus in order to gain salvation, in order to go to heaven. And as a result, the the elders and I stopped the teaching. We sat down with those guys and 
and, and praise the Lord, the, these men, they, they just needed some correction on what they actually believed. And I, I don't know about, about you when you have found yourself perhaps in situations like that. It, maybe as, as you look back at your, your time of preparation for, for marriage, when we went through our premarital counseling, nobody ever told me, hey, you need to find out if your wife likes smooth peanut butter or the crunchy kind. Because that could become a division in your home. How about Miracle Whip or mayonnaise? That, that, that sounds funny to you, but I hate Miracle Whip. Shannon, she's okay with it. Or how about coffee? Do you like sugar or no sugar? Cream or no cream? Okay, these are things that, that are negotiable. How do you fix the peanut butter issue? Well, you just buy two different kinds of peanut butter and you set them in your pantry and you're good to go. But there are things, like, like I mentioned at the beginning, that are things that are non-negotiable. These are things that, that when they come up, and, and in regards to God's Word, when it services, it is something that we cannot back off of. And we're going to see such an event this morning such a discussion, such a belief, such a teaching, what we would call doctrine this morning. So turn with me to Acts chapter 15. As we are going to see what is at stake in the early church. And that is, it is the purity of the gospel. And this event will not only teach us about the purity of the gospel, what matters most, but it will also allow us to learn how to hold tightly to those teachings that we should hold tightly to and how we should hold on to them in a gracious manner. Today we're just going to really look at the first two, what, what would be scenes of the Jerusalem Council. In several weeks, we'll come back. We're, the, the pastors and elders were going to Hume Lake this week, and I appreciate prayers for us as we go. That It would just be a, a time of rejuvenation for us. And next week, we will have some missionaries coming, and, and Mark Denae will be, will be preaching. But today, we're going to be looking at basically two scenes of how this starts. And then we're going to be looking at how the Apostle Peter stands up and teaches as well as Paul and Barnabas. So starting in verse 1, going to verse 12, let's read the Word of God. So men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, 
You know that in the early days God made a choice among you, and that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Let's pray for the preaching of the Word. Heavenly Father, we, we need You. We need Your Spirit to truly grasp the significance of what is presented before us this morning. So guide our time. Allow Your Holy Spirit to be our great teacher this morning. We pray these things in, in the wonderful name of Christ, our Savior, and Lord. Amen. So what we see at, is at stake is the purity of the gospel. And yet in order for us to truly understand what is going on in Acts chapter 15 and why all of this happens, we, we need to look at what has been happening in the church of, of Jesus Christ up to this point. Because remember, we have now seen small little growth of the Gentile church going all the way back to Acts chapter 10, right? As Cornelius is given this vision, and then Peter is given a vision. And the Lord tells Peter, hey, I want you to go to Cornelius. I want you to preach the gospel to Cornelius. So Peter goes and he, and he shares that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, that he died upon the cross for his sins. And then what happens? Cornelius believes in him. Not just Cornelius, but Cornelius and his family. And then what happens? The Jerusalem church wants to know about that. Because this is the first time where Gentiles have come to salvation. And so P Peter then goes back to Jerusalem. And he sits down with the church. And he basically gives them a thumbs up and lets them know, okay, everything is fine with this church. And then we know that, that as the, the church is scattered and, and, and persecution starts and goes into more full detail after the death of Stephen, that the gospel then goes to Antioch. And there, many more Gentiles outside of the Jewish faith, right? They become saved. And as a result, what happens? The Jerusalem church says, hey, we need to send someone to them. And so they send Barnabas. Barnabas goes and checks on everything. And he says again to the Jerusalem church, hey, everything is fine. These guys are indeed saved. We now have brothers and sisters in Christ that are not of the nation of Israel. Praise the Lord. And he brings Paul with him and they teach, tag team teach for a year in Antioch. Then we know as we looked at chapter 13 in the book of Acts, kind of phase three of the, the, the growth of the Gentile church. In their first missionary journey, what happens? They go and they're, and they're preaching in all these different places. And as they go and they preach the gospel, what happens? The Lord saves many. 
and churches start to be planted and popping up all over the place. And as this happens, word comes back to Jerusalem, to this church, and, and what do they do? They start to think, well, well, what does this mean for us? Okay, before, this was just small little incidences of, of a church here with Cornelius and a church here in Antioch. But now we're talking about churches popping up all over the place. And what started out as such a slight little drizzle has now turned into this full torrential downpour of more and more coming to the Lord. And, and they are wondering, well, how do we get along with them? What does church look like together in, in this kind of context where we have a mixture of Jews and, and non-Jews? And, and how is this all going to work out? And what we, are see, what we see so clearly here is first and foremost a message on salvation. A lesson on salvation. You cannot walk away from Acts chapter 15 without recognizing that it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that someone is saved. Through faith by grace alone. But uh, along with that, we, we also glean some lessons on how we are to, to hold our doctrine, our teaching, and hold it gracefully and graciously and yet firmly. And how do we do that? What are the lessons that we learn? Well, the first lesson that we learn, as soon as I get used to the new clicker, is that we need to know what doctrines are, di- are the to die for doctrines. Which doctrines we say, you know what, we cannot compromise. This is not something that we could say, hey, okay, you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe. Why? Because there is too much at stake. Someone's eternal soul is at stake and as a result, this is something that we need to be willing to die for, to stand up for, which is exactly what we see in the first two verses. Look at verses 1 and part of 2. Some men come da- came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, let's, let's stop right there. So what happens? Everything was going so good. Right? Remember the church in Antioch where we left off last week, chapter 14, verse 28, and, and the couple verses before that. Paul and Barnabas come home after their missionary journey. And, and they are explaining, they are professing, they are reporting all that God did. And as they hear that the doors to Christ's church have been opened wide for anyone to come in, and that Gentiles are being saved, they are rejoicing in that. But, but this rejoicing is short-lived. As we see a group comes from Judea, from Jerusalem. And we're going to find out later that that they actually present themselves as if they are representatives of the Jerusalem church. And so they come to the church in Antioch and they teach just like the lesson or the story that I was saying about in our village. So these men come and they teach. And, and what do they teach? They teach this. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. What, what are they saying? They are saying in a conditional statement. They're saying... If you want to go to heaven, the only way to get to heaven is to be circumcised. They are adding on to the gospel. They are saying it's Christ plus this equals eternity with God in heaven. Equals salvation. 
And is this the case? No, this is not the case. This is not what Scripture teaches. What these men are doing is they're coming and they're saying, okay, look, salvation is like a ladder. A ladder that you have to climb. And you know what? Jesus, He helps you. And what He does, it's almost as if He puts you on His shoulders and and He holds you up as high as He can up the ladder, but that's only so far. And the rest of the way up the ladder, that's on you. And the way that you do that is, is you need to be circumcised. That's what these men are saying. And notice who these men are. We're not told anything except for some men. And how do Paul and Barnabas respond? Well, they had great dissension and debate with them. Why? Because they recognize that the souls of those that are listening are at stake. But, but what do you think about the, the others that are listening? Those from Antioch. Those that are saved. They, they no doubt are, are thinking something like this. Well, wait a minute. I, I thought it was just believing in Jesus Christ. I thought it was just faith in Christ. But, but now you're telling me I need to be circumcised. I thought the Holy Spirit already came. He's already been working in my life. What do you mean I need to do something else now? And what do Paul and Barnabas say? They, they say no. They say no, they're not right. That is not what Scripture teaches. And so they have a great dissension. They have a great debate with them. They basically go after them to let them know, hey, no, that is not true. That is not what Scripture teaches. It is not Christ plus something else. It is Christ alone. Long before the Reformation, this was happening. And this is the same cry as the Reformation. But we see, too, that it's not just the fact that Paul and Barnabas see this as something significant. As look at the second half of Of verse 2. As it says, The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Not only must we recognize what those doctrines, what those teachings are that are so critical, that they are the to die for doctrine, something that, that we should not give up. And if we go to a church that is teaching something other than salvation alone in Christ, that is not a church that we should spend time at. But not only that, we, we see this as well. That we should indeed seek wise counsel, and that is what they are doing. That is what the, whole, the church does. As they recognize, you know what, this issue is much bigger than just the church in Antioch. They recognize that what is at stake is all of the churches. All of the churches that Christ is planting, that Christ is growing. If this is compromised, all the churches will be compromised. The missionary effort that Paul is planning on doing, that the church is doing, will be compromised. Why? Because this is a false gospel. Because this is something not true. And so as a result, what do they do? They seek counsel. And they send a a group, including Paul and Barnabas, to Jerusalem to check into this matter. Is it because they think that they're wrong? No, they, they recognize that they're right. They want to confirm that these guys are definitely representatives of the Jerusalem church. And you know what they're going to find out? They're not. That, that Peter and James, they agree with Paul. That it is only salvation found in Christ alone. Through faith, by grace alone. 
And if you're thinking this morning this has nothing to do with you, well, well, you need to consider this. All of us at some point or another need help. Do we not? All of us at some point or another, we need some wise counsel as we find ourselves in a position where we've tried and tried and tried to fix this, but it's not. It's not getting fixed. It's, it's not getting any better. And that could be in a marriage. That could be in a, in a relationship. That could, that could be in a couple of different areas. If you think that after all the time we spent on the mission field and then my time in seminary and, 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 and subsequent that I now have all the answers to God's Word and that, and that I am not going to be corrected, you are totally wrong. I do not have all the answers. I am certain that there are still things that I'm going to have to be corrected on. And there are things that you're going to have to be corrected on. That, that, that is what Christ Church does. We encourage, we help one another. And if you find yourself this morning in a position where you need help, please come to one of us pastors. Come to one of the elders. Go see Pastor Lou, who heads up our biblical counseling arm of the church. Go go see Joyce, who who plays the piano, and talk to her if if you're a woman and needs help. This is what the the Church of Christ does, that we help one another. But but we see more in in this church than just seeking wise counsel. Look at verses 3 and 4. As they, they truly are a ascending church too. Therefore being sent on their way by the church. This word sent is not the idea of, of sending them, forgetting about them. This actually is, is the idea that as you send someone, you are assisting them in making their journey. You're sending them on their way by giving them food, by giving them money, by arranging the path that is before them. What what does that depict for us? That lets us know that this was a church involved. In essence, you could could almost look at this as their second missionary journey. And and the church understood that this was a very big deal. Because if they got this wrong, and if they found that the church in Jerusalem also thought the only way to be saved was through circumcision and Christ, then there was going to be problems in the church. Because up to this point, they were a completely unified body, even though they were separate churches. And now there was division that wasn't just creeping into one church. This division could creep into all the churches. And the church in Antioch recognizes that. And so they they send these folks out with their blessing, investing in them. And this is the kind of church that RBC should be. And and next week, as we have some missionaries coming, it'll be an opportunity for all of us to wrap our arms around them, to love on them as the denies come and spend time with us. And then look at the next verse. As it continues, they were passing through, or the next sentence, sorry, as they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. So they have to travel from Antioch all the way to Jerusalem. And as they're doing that, they pass through Phoenicia, which is on the coast. And they pass through Samaria, which is inland. And we know that that both of those people, the Samaritans, even though they're somewhat related to the Jews, they are not Jewish. And the Phoenicians are completely Gentiles. And as they hear the message, 
the report of what God has done, what is their response? Their response is great joy. They are overjoyed with the fact that Christ is continuing to save and to build His church even through Gentiles. But how are they going to respond when they get to Jerusalem? Is there going to be friction, conflict? No, look at verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. So everyone receives them, graciously opens their arms to them, and they reported all that God had done with them. So the whole group gets together, and then what happens? Paul and Barnabas then give them another recap on all that has happened in their missionary journey and how God has gone before them and how God has opened the door for Christ's church to all to enter. But as they depict what the Lord has been doing, we see in verses 5 and 6 that some that are listening are not so excited about what they are saying. Look at verses 5 and 6. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. So what happens? As Paul and Barnabas are giving an account of all that happened, a group known as the Pharisees stand up and and, and they say something else. Is what they're saying, do you think that that represents a teaching, a doctrine that is a die-for doctrine? That it is indeed a salvation issue. This idea that it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses is what they're saying is it is necessary to be circumcised to be saved. Is that the same thing as verse 1? Before you answer. Let let me remind you of the next lesson. The next lesson is that we need to know what doctrines are divide for doctrines. Not doctrines that are so much die for doctrines. But doctrines that that we would say, okay, this isn't something that, that is... Related to our salvation, this is more something related to how we walk before the Lord as believers. And you might guess that that I am looking at verses 5 and 6 as not the die-for doctrines. And why is that? Well, the reason is, is because it's not the same issue and the same people involved as verse 1. Look at, the, look at the text. Look at verse 5. What does it say about these people? Remember verse 1, it said just some men. It was a very general term. We don't know who these men are. We're given two very instructive descriptions about these men in verse 5. First, we're told that they are Pharisees. What does that let us know about them? That lets us know they're all about this. They're all about the Word. They're all about the Old Testament. Since the time they were little, they have been raised in an environment where they have been taught the Old Testament, the law. Not only the, not only the Old Testament, but how to follow it. So that's what they were all about. And as, as important as that is, that does not hold a candle to the other description. Do you see how they're also described? They are described as those who had believed. These are believers. In the Greek, it's even stronger. In in the Greek, this is a a perfect tense, which means it's pointing back to a, a previous decision in the past, something that was completed in the past. Their believing was completed in the past, 
but it carries on until the present. That they believe back then, they are still believing today. And so, well, well, how do you know then, Pastor Jason, that they are not believing the same things that the guys in verse 1 did? Because if you are a believer, you cannot believe that Jesus Christ and something else brings salvation. If you are a believer, as verse 5 says they are, then you only believe in Jesus Christ unto salvation. Nothing else added to that. So what are they saying? Notice that they're they're not saying that it's necessary to circumcise in order to be saved. There's no verbiage in there talking about salvation. They're saying that circumcision and following the law is, is part of our daily walk with the Lord after salvation. They're talking about sanctification. They're talking about what happens after you are saved. So in essence, what they're saying is, after they've heard what Paul and Barnabas have said, they are agreeing, saying, okay, yes, Gentiles are now saved. They are part of the church. But how do they then walk with the Lord? Well, the way that they walk with the Lord is they go back to the law. They become like us. And they strap themselves under the law, and then they follow the law. What is this? This is legalism. Is this truth? No. This is truth mixed with a, a, a little bit of error. This is something that's taking you a step away. But is it as abhorrent as verse 1? No. This isn't a salvation issue. This is a walking before the Lord issue. This would be what, what I would say a, a divide for issue. What, what this could have turned into was something that was a divide for issue. Praise the Lord, it doesn't turn into a divide for issue. What do I mean by that? Well, think about what what would happen, and this doesn't happen, but what would happen if once all of this came out, and then as we're going to see, Peter teaches, and they listen to Peter, and then they listen to Paul and Barnabas, and then they listen to James, and after all of that, even after James says to them, which is what he's going to say when we look at this in a couple weeks, James is going to say, okay, you know what, you guys are right. On some aspects. We're, we're going to take circumcision out, out of the whole equation because that is something that everybody equates with salvation and we don't want it to be equated with salvation. But, for the sake of Jewish believers, we're, we're going to encourage you Gentiles not to do these three things. For the sake of fellow believers, can, can you do that? Well, what would happen if after James says that, this group of Pharisee believers stands up and says, you know what? No. We still want to require them to be, back to, to be circumcised and we want them to live up to more than just these three things of the law. I mean, come on, guys. But they don't do that. So it does not become an, an issue of division. This is not a divide for doctrine for them. And, and may I just say this. A die-for doctrine would would be one of these. It would be a a doctrine relating towards salvation. How someone is saved. It would be something relating towards Jesus Christ. What someone... who, Who Jesus is. Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is He really God? If you take away that, you no longer have the Gospel. If you take away... In Christ alone, you no longer have the gospel. And if you undermine the authority of God's word, then you no longer have the gospel as well. 
So those are the three things. Now what would I say are the divide for doctrines? Well, write this down. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Why? Because it is different for each person, even within churches, right? We have some churches where they only believe in the King James Version, right? And that's all you, that's all they read. Are we like that? No. If you came to Siawi, and, and that'd be really great. In fact, I'm going to encourage all of you to come with us when we go on a missions trip to Siawi and we go back and visit the tribe that we worked in. But if you came there, you know what would happen. As you come into church and as you sit down, you wouldn't look anything like we are now. First, they don't have chairs. And, and second, they divide the women and the men. So all of you men would be sitting over here and all of you women would be sitting over here. Is that an issue that we should have said, no, 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 hey, you guys need to sit together. I'm not even going to be your pastor if you do not do that. No. Right? And, and so these areas of division, I, I think in the end, we, we would see that these areas of division, they're not as many as you think. And yet there are some. I, what, what would be one for, for me personally? I, I would say that the belief of once saved, always saved. Eternal security. Perseverance of the saints. That is something I believe strongly in. Does that mean I cannot have fellowship with someone that doesn't believe that? No, I have friends that, that don't believe that. They go to similar verses I would go to. I would, I would just disagree. So we see that that's important for us to, to, what, to understand which doctrines are the doctrines that we need to hold to tightly graciously and which doctrines are are the doctrines that that are the divide for which of the doctrines are more hey these are things we can debate about but we're not going to break fellowship with one another over them and then too we we see this in verse 7 that we need to stay true to what god has revealed look look at what peter says next in verse 7 and notice how in verse 6, it's, it's the apostles and it's the elders of the church. So after everybody hears, then the, then the leadership of the church gets together. And they are the ones who are going to decide whether or not this is true or that is true. And after there had been much debate, that is why I believe to a certain extent this is not a salvation issue. If this was only verse 1 issue that you are saved not by Christ alone, but by Christ plus something else, the debate wouldn't have been long. It would have been done quick and easy. But because this has to do also with sanctification and how these Gentile believers are now going to walk with the Lord once they're saved, that debate takes a little bit longer to flush out. And finally, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. What, what, is, what does Peter do? He points them back to what God has done. And in essence, what he is doing is he is referring to God's Word. Because we know from the Gospels and we know from what we've already seen in the book of Acts that it was Jesus Christ Himself who called Peter into the work that he is now doing. This wasn't some figment of, of Peter's imagination. This was the Lord speaking to him. This was the Word of God that we have before us now. And so that is what he's pointing to. And notice in that, he's also saying two things. He's saying, hey, this is not something new. You guys knew about this. You know that. 
And he also says that this is not something recent. He points them back and says, in the early days, going all the way back to Acts chapter 10, which some believe is now 10 years. He's pointing back to that time and saying, hey, remember Cornelius? Remember how I came here and I told you guys that they are indeed saved? Well, you know what? You guys forgot. And so now I need to remind you. And he does that by telling them what God has already revealed. What is he doing? He, he's correcting them. And as we're going to see at the end, they are correctable. They're teachable. They're humble enough to say, you know what? Okay, we, we, we might actually be wrong on a couple of these issues. You know what? We're willing to submit to what you are saying. And we'll see that at the end of Acts chapter 15. And then he goes on, continuing to be true to God's word. Look at what he says in verses 8 to 10. And God who knows the heart testified to them, speaking again of those Gentiles of Cornelius and how they were saved, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So now he goes and he, and he gives them two examples. He says, look, the first reason why I know these guys are saved and why they should not be strapped under the law is because they've been given the Holy Spirit. If they have been given the Holy Spirit, why do they need to be circumcised and why do they need to live under the law? The Lord Jesus has given us something that will help us to walk before Him. And it's not the law, it's the Holy Spirit. He will be the one that empowers them. And then He says this too. He says, interestingly enough, that they have had their hearts cleansed. What does that mean? Literally their heart? No, it's not talking about their physical hearts. It's talking about their spiritual hearts. How can someone have their hearts cleansed? There's only one way. That is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. To have His blood that was shed upon the cross cleanse you from your sins. That He took your penalty, your place upon the cross. And through His shedding of His blood, it's as if He has cleansed you. Right? Taking that, Making your, your heart, so to speak, from being black as it was in sin before to now becoming white because of the precious blood of what Jesus did on the cross being shed for us. So that's what he is depicting, that they are indeed saved. And, and then he goes back to this illustration of, of tying themselves to the law. And is that profitable? He, he gives this illustration of a yoke with oxen, which for, at least for me, it makes no sense. Because I, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know what this looks like. But what this looks like is two great big holes. And, and one is, is the oxen that already knows what he's doing. And he's been working the farm for years And the other one is a smaller hole. And that's for the new oxen that needs to learn. And he puts them both in. And I'm sorry, that little oxen has no other choice. He has to follow the big oxen who knows what he's doing. And over time, he learns. How? By just following and and wrote. Over and over again, following. And what is he saying? He's saying, you think that you want to go back to the law and following the law in your own strength? How has that worked for you? How, How did that work for our forefathers. He's saying it didn't work at all. So why would you want to strap them under that? And of course the answer is you you wouldn't. 
Don't strap them under this law. It's too heavy. And then he goes on in verse 11 to explain exactly how you are saved. No doubt pointing back to verse 1, but also reminding them so that they all know. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. It's only by grace that someone is saved. It has nothing to do with any merit, any kind of work, any kind of circumcision, any kind of following, any kind of going to church. Nothing. It is all because of what Jesus did. And then notice what he says. He says, we're saved through grace in the same way as they also are. You see, that's flip-flopped. For a Jew, he would normally say, hey, they are saved the way that we are, the way that the Jews are saved, elevating the Jews. He does it the complete opposite. He says, we are saved the way that the Gentiles are. And that would make no sense. But what he's doing is he's emphasizing the fact it's not because you are Jewish that you are saved. There are many blessings to being Jewish, but it does not give you salvation. Being circumcised does not grant you salvation. All it is is an outward act. What grants salvation? Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ alone. And that is what we can learn from the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. They are teaching us. And as a result, how do the people respond? Do they get upset? They raise their their hands, their their fists in complete defiance. No, look at how they respond in, in verse 12. And all the people kept silent. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So as Peter wraps up, we see that their response is silence. What's implied? What's implied is there was nothing they could say. There was nothing that they could say that would defend a different argument. They recognized that everything that Peter has said is true. And as a result, they respond in in silence, agreeing with him. And in essence, what they are doing is is they are saying, okay, yeah, we get it. We, We were wrong, but we're willing to go ahead and listen to you, Peter, and be persuaded that we were wrong. And then Paul and Barnabas get up, and then they share. And notice what they share is all pointing to God, not pointing to themselves. Just as Peter did, pointing to how God had called him and done this and done that. Now Paul and Barnabas do exactly the same thing. Why? To let them know this is all about what God has intended, what God's design is for salvation, that God has granted salvation. And it is only one way. It is through faith by grace in, by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see clearly today that that first we need to grab the big lesson that salvation is through faith alone. In Christ alone, by God's grace alone. But also we should know what the die for doctrines are. And we should know what the divide and, and what the die for doctrines are. And as we seek the Lord in these things, we need to seek counsel at times in areas that were in our lives that, that we're struggling with or even trying to figure out, man, is this something that, that is a divide for issue or not? And then finally, that we should stay true to God's Word as He has revealed it to us. 
And let me close with, with this. Points to ponder. Consider this. Consider how Peter's words dealt with how the gospel of Christ cleanses a person's heart. Why is it important for believers to consider their hearts? What is the Lord communicating to us by revealing that to us? Well, He's revealing to us just how important the heart is, that from the heart, all of our actions come out. Number two, which has been very, very convicting for me this week, consider how the Pharisee believers' views of the law could have divided the churches, but it didn't. How quickly do you break fellowship with someone over a theological disagreement? Do you tend to get into a serious disagreement with fellow believers too quickly or too slowly? We need to seek the Lord on these things and ask Him to to give us His mind, His heart for one another and perhaps hold things a, a little bit less tightly. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word and all that is contained in it. We thank You for the reminder this morning of how great Your grace is. That You save us not by anything that we have done, but You save us through what Christ did alone on the cross, accomplishing redemption, buying back our sin as He hung upon the cross for those of us who have trusted in Him. Lord, thank You. Go before us now, Lord, as we leave here. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.